All right, Mark chapter number 16 and verse number 9. We're really going to look at the last part of verses of the, of the chapter as my message, but we'll start in verse number 9. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had cast seven devils. And she went and told uh, them that He had been with Him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that He was alive and hadn't been seen of her, believed not. After that, He appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, and neither believed they them. Afterward, He appeared unto them, uh, to the eleven, as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen Him after He was risen. And this is really the main focus of the message this morning. And He said unto them, Go ye unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another time to be together. And Lord, I pray you give me the word to speak. Lord, your salvation still needs to be proclaimed. So many lost. Lord, help us to be faithful in the task. Lord, help us to take your parting words to heart. Lord, I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. The day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, He started the process of preparing His disciples for His departure, leaving this world. He knew that He would ascend back to heaven 40 days after He rose from the dead. And Jesus knew that He would be leaving behind His followers to continue the work, to continue the mission. They would be given tasks of carrying the message of salvation through all the four corners of the world. And if they were going to carry out that mission... They need to understand exactly what the mission required. I'm sure that all of us, when we're given a job, like to know what's required and how do we get the job done. I think I told you about the time when my boss told me to clean up the garage or this big warehouse and didn't give pretty real clear instructions. And me and my friend thought it'd be great to use a big water hose to clean it out. And he came around the corner just as we were getting ready to turn that big fire hydrant on and he was not very impressed that we didn't do it the way that he thought he told us. He never did tell us. But whatever job we have, we want to know how to get it done or if we want to do the job right. So he's telling them what exactly the mission would require. They needed to know that there would be success and that there would be failures. They needed to know some people would believe the message while others would reject it and oppose the message. They need words of comfort, of hope, of instruction. And that's what they heard from Jesus. So we see some obligation for the saints here in verse number 15. The message, the disciples are told to preach the gospel. They're, they're told to go into the world bearing the good news of salvation to all that would hear. And that's what the word gospel means, is good news. And that's exactly what the gospel is. What is this message they are to preach? This gospel is clearly articulated for us. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, 
So it says, For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now this verse, actually there's two verses, verses 3 and 4, can be broken down in three parts. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Jesus died for the sins of all those who believed on Him by faith. He died for everybody. When Jesus went to the cross and suffered the agony and shame and separation from God, He didn't do it for Himself. He did it for everyone. He did it for all those who would believe on Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that He may be made the righteousness of God in Him. In order to be saved today, you must believe in Jesus Christ. There's no other way around it. That He was buried after Jesus died, His his body was placed in a grave. And his soul went to a place called Hades. Ephesians 4, verses 8 and 10, and 1 Peter 3, 18 and 20 talk about it. In this place, we know of it from the Gospels when Jesus tells the story of the rich ruler, you know, who went to hell. And then there's another guy in Abraham's bosom. You remember that story? Alright, this is the place that's referring to. And Jesus goes there. He shows up in this place where all the ancient saints of God waited to be redeemed, to be accomplished, a redemption to be accomplished by Jesus Christ. There, there was there, and there, there's, you know, that they were waiting for Him to come. And there's still a portion of that place, and it's called hell. Okay, that's where all the souls of the lost go when they take their final breath here on this earth. They go to a place called hell. Every lost person from the beginning of time. And Jesus walked into that place and proclaimed the good news to those who were in paradise in Abraham's bosom. And He said that He died for sin and sinners. And He told uh, all those who were there that it had been completed. Then He led them out of that place onto heaven. Onto heaven is where He led them. And He told the lost in hell that they, their unbelief had can be confirmed and they were doomed to spend their eternity in, and separated from Him. I do not believe that God entered, Jesus Christ entered hell. I believe He was here and He called out. You know why I believe that? It's because Jesus or that man called out from hell to the Abraham's bosom and He answered back. That's why I believe. I could be wrong. But the reality is Jesus' work was done on the cross. Amen? He saved. By His work on the cross, He saved. He's the significant component of the salvation is truth that Jesus sets every soul He saves. He sets them free. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus Christ rose from the grave in victory and power. And when Jesus died on the cross, He cried, It is finished! And in that moment, Jesus was declaring the plan of salvation had been completed. That God was satisfied. Jesus rose from the dead three days later. If Jesus had been any ordinary man, He would not have been able to come out of the grave. But Jesus was no ordinary man, right? He was no ordinary man. He was God in the flesh. And when He died, He died an innocent man. And death could not claim Him because He was innocent. There was no sin in Him. Death was unable to hold Him. It had no claims on Him. Thus, Jesus was able to walk out of that tomb in victory and power and promise eternal life to all those who believe on His name. It's good news that Jesus Christ loved the world so much that He gave His life to redeem sinners. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's good news that he's forever defeated the devil and his power. First John 3, verse 8, the latter part of the verse, For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. It's good news that He rose from the dead to give salvation to all those who believe in Him. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make an intercession for them. Now, if, that, if you believe that message, let me encourage you to share that message with somebody. Isn't our world lost and heading to a crisis eternity? Absolutely. We look all around we see it. I'll challenge you to tell somebody. And if you have not believed that message, let me encourage you today to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Our mission, our, our, we, see the, we see the message, and we, then we see the field. The, the disciples were told to, to take the good news to all the world. Back in verse uh, 15. All the world. So there's no place that the Word is not supposed to go. The, no group of people were to be left out. It didn't matter how wicked the people were or where they lived or what they looked like. Uh, they were to be given the message. All men, the world, our missions field is still everywhere that there are people. The phrase every creature refers to every individual who bears the image of God. Humans. Every human being, regardless of their sinfulness, doesn't matter about the color of their skin. Doesn't matter about their religious background. Doesn't matter about their position in society. Every one of them need to hear that Jesus saves. Every one of them. Whether we're, we're to tell the good news, uh, to go across the street like we're going to do this afternoon and tell people about Jesus Christ, we need to do that. And, or across the ocean and tell them. When we open our mouths and tell others, or when we send our dollars to the missionaries so they can tell people in Holland and Ireland and the Philippines, the places that we can't be today. It's all part of getting the message out. And I want to thank you, Legacy Baptist Church, for being faithful and giving. Giving money and to help support these missionaries in their works. And, uh, I mean, just recently, I was able to go to Europe and spend time with the camps, our missionaries to Holland and in Ireland with the Smiths. And they're doing a faithful job. They're worthy of our support. And they're just faithfully declaring the truth. And it's a wonderful thing to see. And that's, that's part of, hey, the world's our mission field. The method, the Lord commands them, go ye and preach. Go ye and preach. Go ye is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, a, a good idea to have an optimal ministry. It's, it's, we need to be doing it. It's not a, something we can take or leave. It's a call to action. We're not to debate whether we should tell the message of salvation. And what a horrible debate that would be in a church meeting. Should we tell people about Jesus? No, we need to tell them, man. People need to hear. People need to hear. We're, we're not to debate that. We're to go and share it. As we move through this life, we have a business of telling those the good news. We're to tell with our lips. That's clear from the word preach. That's like the act of the King's Herald. That's the idea. Uh, have you ever been in like an old city or uh, they at one time had a town crier? You know, he would get in the, in the city square and cry out the news. Have you ever seen that like reenacted? Anybody? Anyone? Just a few of us? Okay. Uh, they're really loud, aren't they? 
And the idea is that they're, they're lifting their voices the best they can to tell the news. Maybe it's a new king's command. Maybe someone's showing up in town they need to know about. Whatever the case. That's for us. We need to proclaim it. Now, we're not to stand up and be the loudest person in the Times Square or anything. The idea is that we need to proclaim and tell others about Jesus Christ. The message of their king to this world. We're to tell them. Uh, we're to tell the message with assurance that He'll empower us to tell this world what He's done for us. And I understand they're all in different places too. Uh, uh, some of us maybe are new Christians, maybe a little bit shyer, uh, you know, not, not quite sure how to say it. And then there's other of us who have uh, had a lot more experience, and uh, we we can talk about the Lord maybe in a better, more educated way. But the reality is, all of us have an opportunity. All of us are commanded to tell with our lips about Jesus Christ. God's message is designed to be communicated orally. God chose preaching as a method of giving His message. It's not the only method, but it's definitely one of the methods. One of the biggest methods that He told the disciples is to go and preach. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So how do you hear? you got to hear it, right? Someone has to speak it. Someone's got to speak it. Uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty one says, For after that in wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. You know, so we need to proclaim it. We need to talk about it. We need to tell others about Jesus Christ and what He's done. We also tell others the story of Jesus Christ with our lives. How we live. We are living in such a way that lost people say, you live different than us. You live different than me. You know, and, and we're, we're, we're showing them Christ's love. We're, we're being a light. Right? We're being that light. For Jesus Christ. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You might say, well, Pastor, I'm just one person. Well, I'm glad that the Lord can use just one. Amen? He can use each and every one of us. I think we were talking about it in our WBF uh, on Thursday night that we, when I was growing up, our, our church there in St. John's, Newfoundland had a camp, Beaver Pond Baptist Camp it was called. And Beaver Pond, Beaver Pond Baptist Camp did not have any electricity. So no flushing toilets. They had a generator to pump some water in once in a while. I mean, it was old school camping, folks. And I can't, I gotta be honest, I wasn't terribly thrilled when my, friend, my parents signed me up every year. It's like, oh great, I get to go to the creek and get washed up every day, you know. Woo! I wasn't totally excited about it. Uh, and at night, uh, we, you know, we had lamps in our cabins. They had built, you know, I don't know, 12 by 18 cabins, whatever, and all kinds of bunks on the side. So they had those kerosene lamps and, uh, and then below later propane pan, uh, uh, lanterns and things. So when that turned off, it was dark. I mean, dark. There's no, uh, light, uh, pollution in that part of the world, okay? It was total blackness. And, you know, it would be so nice when one of the young fellows would turn a light on. It felt like the room was alive with light. It was just one little flashlight. You know, I have to admit at that age, I was quite scared of dark and I was quite happy when someone would do it. But that one little light made a difference in my life. Helped me go to sleep. Hey, where you work, where you live, maybe in your family... You're the only one who's light shining for Jesus. Keep shining. 
don't stop. You don't know what kind of impact you're making. You say, well, pastor, they mock me. They ridicule me. They oppose me. They say nasty things to me. Well, I'm going to pray for you more, but keep shining that light. Keep shining that light. You don't know. You don't know when. They'll finally understand or finally get convicted and the Lord will bring them salvation. The Lord's command is to His people. Are we, are we, as a church, are we carrying out their great commission, folks? Individually, are we sharing our faith? Uh, we're commanded to go ye. We're to command to reach others with the gospel. The good news should be on the tip of our tongue. The Lord has done for us. Verses 16 and 17 of this chapter, we see the burden of the sinner. The saint has, or the saints have responsibility to share the gospel with the lost, but the sinner has a responsibility. He has a burden. He has something that he has to take care of. Verse sixteen: He that believeth and, and is baptized shall be saved, and he shall not be, be shall be damned. He that believeth, when a sinner hears the gospel message, that person is individually responsible. He has a burden to believe that message. Salvation occurs when that lost person hears the good news. So we as a church or as an individual, we've been faithful. We have proclaimed the message. We have lived it day by day. The person, that lost person, hears it. They see it. And then they're convicted of their sin. Now, the Lord works that way, right? It might be a good thing for you to pray for that person that you're praying for to get saved. Maybe you should pray, Lord, convict them of their sin. Bring that conviction in their heart. I'll be honest, I prayed that way for some folks. Lord, convict their heart. They need you. Bring that conviction. Help them to go to you and, and see their needs. So the conviction arises in their life and they believe the message. They believe that Jesus Christ died for them and that they rose again. The sinner believes the message. So one day, the sinner was walking this way. He hears the message from you. He sees that you're living your life the right way. He sees it. He recognizes Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus Christ is who I need to believe in. He turns from what he was doing, the way he was living, what he was trusting, whatever it is, he turns for that. He places his full faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he's marvelously saved. Amen? That's what takes place. And he's saved. The work of salvation is instant. It's instant. It doesn't take three months to take hold. Salvation is a work of faith in the heart of a lost sinner who looks to Jesus and Jesus alone to save him. And once he's saved or she is saved, they're instantly transformed by his saving grace and power. Immediately. And let me stress today that salvation does not come because of good works. It does not come because of good deeds. It does not come because you have a good lifestyle. It does not come because you go to a good church. Salvation does not come for religion or ritual or tradition. Salvation is by grace through faith. That's what it is. Absolutely what it is. It's not Jesus plus these other ones I have, these other things. You know, repentance is an important issue, folks. So the idea of repentance that one day I was following this God or this thing, I repent, I turn. That's what the word means. I turn from. I turn from those things and I place my full faith in Jesus Christ. Hey, we live in a very multi-cultural, uh, uh, diverse area. 
And I can go tell, and I've had people tell me as they've witnessed that they went and witnessed to a Hindu person and told them about Jesus. Well, if you don't tell that Hindu that they need to remove all the other ones, turn from all those other gods and trust in Jesus Christ, they're just going to take Jesus with the other ones. They need to repent. They need to turn from those gods and place their full faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's only Him. And that's it. That's final. It's not Him plus other things. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not us doing it. It's through Jesus Christ. Amen. We just accept the gift. We just accept the gift. See, to answer, to act, believe, and is baptized. This verse has been misunderstood and misapplied by many who want to add baptism to faith as a condition for salvation. The truth of the matter is, it, it's not that. Let me share just a few reasons why I say that this is not, this is not teaching baptismal regeneration. Okay? There's people out there who believe it. Hey, we, so just recently, it was Easter, right? So Jesus died on a cross, and there was two thieves next to him, right? Are you with me? Alright, good. So one thief, uh, actually both of them at first mocked the Lord. But after a while, one of them got smart, just in time, and he placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, right? He did that. At that, on the cross. He did that. The other one did not. As far as we know, it's not recorded in scripture. So he talks to the Lord, and you know what the Lord says to him? Thou shalt be with me in paradise. That thief did not get off that cross and get baptized. He died on that cross, just as Jesus died on that cross. He had no opportunity to get down off that tree and get baptized by anybody. No, he died and he went to paradise. He followed the Lord in paradise. And he followed the Lord then to heaven after the Lord took them from paradise and brought them to heaven. The Gentiles who believed in Caesarea were baptized after they believed in Acts chapter 10, verse 44 to 48. You know, if... If baptism was so integral in salvation, don't you think Jesus would have been baptizing people? He would have been. But it's not that important. I mean, it's important, but it's not important for salvation. It doesn't, it, Jesus did not baptize. You can find John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. That was really strange if baptism is necessary for salvation. Paul told the Corinthians that he was glad that he only had baptized a few of the number. Surely if it was the way that God wanted people to get saved, Paul would be baptizing everybody he, get, he came in contact with. So it has nothing to do with that. You know, nearly 150 passages in the New Testament teach us that salvation is through faith alone. It's through faith alone. Baptism in the New Testament is connected closely with the death and burial. Romans 6, verses 1 to 5. It's an emblem of dying to the old life of sin. Faith, on the other hand, is associated with new birth or new life in Christ. If Jesus is not talking about being baptized for salvation, what is he talking about here? Jesus is talking about obedience to God. Those who are saved by grace will have a desire to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. They will have a, a desire to give a clear public witness to those around them of their new faith in Jesus. For many, their baptism is their first public opportunity to tell a crowd that they trust Jesus and that He's the one who saved their soul. Not any tradition, not any church, no nothing else through Jesus. The bottom line is Jesus is telling His man, salvation results 
in obedience. That when we get saved, we want to obey. We're not saved by our works, but we're saved for works. Okay? We, before, we accepted a gift. It's not by our works that we made salvation, but we accept Jesus Christ. Now we're in Christ. Now we are to work for Jesus. Now we're to have good works to show for Jesus. Now that should be our desire. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Baptism is an outward work that speaks of an inward salvation. It's a public testimony of salvation. That this person was once lost, now they accept Jesus. Now, by the way, if you're a saved individual, you're going to want to get baptized. Because the Lord puts it in your heart to, to, to obey Him. And that, that should be a step for you. And if you're here this morning and you're, and you're saved and you're not baptized, come see myself, see Pastor Matt. We'd love to work that out to get you in the waters of baptism and have that step of obedience. You know, uh, there's a lot of Christians who are struggling along today because they haven't even taken the first step of obedience. It's pretty simple. We need to follow in obedience. To accept. The, the sinner has a burden, has a responsibility to accept. He that believeth shall not, uh, not shall be damned. The lost sinner has the opportunity to believe the gospel and be saved. He also has the ability, the right to reject the gospel and remain in lost in sin. The sinner must understand, individuals must understand that if he or she rejects Jesus Christ and the gospel of grace, there is a consequence for that decision. Hey, there's a consequence for every decision, right? And this one is a huge one. If a person rejects the salvation that's offered by God through Christ Jesus, there is no hope of salvation available to them outside of Jesus. Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? There's no way for you to escape but Jesus Christ. So if you reject Him, then you're, then you're lost. Jesus Christ is the only way to get to God. He's the only way. Neither is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. Acts 4.12 You know, unfortunately today, there's a whole lot of churches, there's a whole lot of ministries in our world today, they're in our community, they're on the internet, they're trying to get in your home, and they're going to tell you, oh, there's all kinds of paths to God. They are liars. They're liars. They're false teachers. That is not in the Bible. You need to know what the Bible says. And I'm telling you right now, it says that He's the only way. He is the only way to get to God. I'm just going to park here for a second, folks. We need to be super careful about who we're listening to on the Internet, on the radio, and things of that nature. I had conversation with some of our missionaries this week that more of their men... Over in Europe are following these crazy guys who are preaching filth, disgusting stuff, and they're like, oh yes, I'm following this. Hey, get in God's Word. Let's be discerners of God's Word. And see what God's Word has to say about it. We need to be so careful. We need to be watching out for who we're, what we're letting in. Say, oh, this is a, this guy's, listen, don't believe, I mean, it's sad to say, but just because he says he's from a Baptist church, don't believe it. Get in God's Word and see what it says. Hey, see what God's Word has to say. I mean, get in it. Be like the Bereans. 
And know what the, the Word says and see if the preaching lines up with the Word of God. That was a free advertisement. Now back to this. No other name. To reject Him is to reject forgiveness. It's to reject hope. It's to reject salvation. To reject God and Christ. Uh, it's to reject any hope of eternity outside a place called hell. Revelation 2, uh, verse 14, 15. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the word of uh, the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I'll be honest. I, that, that, that portion of Scripture is sad because the reality is if you die without Christ, that's where you go. But that's what the Word of God says. I have a responsibility to declare it. And that's what it is. The reality is you take your last breath without Jesus Christ. This is your future. But the good news, it doesn't have to be your future. The good news is you can accept Jesus Christ today and be saved. So there's a burden on the, on the lost individual, on the sinner. They need to make a decision. And there's none of this, oh, well, I, th- I think I see, I see uh, uh, things on both sides of the fence. There's no fences here. You're either for Christ or you're against them. That's it. That's what it is. Let's make sure that we're on the side for Christ, folks. We see recognition of His servants in verses 17 and 18. And these, shall, uh, these signs shall follow them that believe. Jesus ends His Word. These are the last two verses that He speaks to them here in Mark. And He gives His Word to the disciples that there, there's going to be signs that will follow the true believers. The word sign refers to a token or that which separates. The word means that God will put a difference between His people and the people who will remain lost in sin. The word follow means to accompany them. These signs shall follow. So these are going to be with these to accompany the lives of the redeemed. Now these verses have been misunderstood as well by many who desire to have something more than a simple faith in Jesus Christ. They, they want a sign. I mean, how many people have heard that? I want to see a sign. I want a token. I want some sort of tangible sign that God's power rests on them. And from these verses, some really unbiblical movements have begun. And some unbiblical activities as well. Speaking in tongues, snake handling, drinking poison, faith healing, a fascination with demons, and other notions have occurred because these verses have been taken out of context. The verse, the actions described in these verses refer to events that took place during the early days of the local church. The very beginning days. When the Lord Jesus sent out the disciples with the gospel of grace. He was on, he was bringing authority to his message through the displays of the power uh, that they were going to show. When the apostles ended, so did these signs. The need for miracles ended and it ceased to function. Uh, when, when did they cease? Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I think the answer is found here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 8. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because our world, again, uh, churches, charismatic movements, uh, all kinds of those who refer to these things are exploding in growth. I was amazed how much they have grown in Europe, in Holland, in Ireland, where we were at. The pastors told me that these churches are exploding. And they're teaching this stuff. Hey, it's no different here. They're, they're growing here too, and we need to know the truth. Amen? You know the truth, and you know what error is. 
First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 8. Charity never faileth, but where there be problems, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. This verse refers to that which is perfect. You must understand that the early church did not get up on the first day of the week. or you know, We know from Acts that it got together every day of the week. They did not get together on the first day of the week and have their Bible all together. They didn't have it like we have it today. Some of it was still being written. Alright, so things were different. They were not the same as they are today. And the New Testament had not been complete. These individuals, it was until the end of that age that it was all the New Testament was complete. And then us as humans, the mankind, had the very words of God. Man had the complete revelation of God's Word to humanity. If someone tells you that we need more revelation, you need to stay away from them. Do you think that God would have went this long without giving us the complete Word of God? We have everything we need, folks, all contained within the Bible. We don't need any extra revelations. Alright, so we have the complete, it's for us, it's for man. We no longer need miracles to affirm the message, hey, this is a miracle that we have this. God's words. Now, just for a moment, you know those the things that were mentioned back in uh, in uh, Mark, the latter part there of the verses, uh, that talks about different things that they will do and be able to do. Uh, you know, they were all recorded in Acts, except for one: casting out demons. Acts chapter eight, verse seven. Acts six, eighteen. Acts nineteen, verse eleven to sixteen. Speaking with new tongues. Acts chapter two. Acts chapter ten. Acts chapter nineteen. Taking up servants. That was Paul that we know of recorded for us in Acts 25 or 28, verse 5. The only one not mentioned in Acts is drinking deadly poison. Now, we are told by church history that Joseph, who took the place of Judas Iscariot, had this done to him during the course of his ministry, and he lived. That's the only one that's not recorded in Acts. Laying on the hands for others for healing, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 28. In other words, the prophecy was literally fulfilled in the first century by the apostles. God worked the miracles through them to prove to the lost that His Word was true. I mean, He was proving it. Is there a need for sign following today? Should we speak in tongues, take up serpents, and drink poison to prove that we've been saved? Uh, the only thing that's going to prove is that you're mortal and you'll die by doing any of those things. It's not how God has chosen us to reach the world. God's not told us to do those things to reach the world. I already talked about it. It's about preaching. God's chosen to reach the world through preaching. Uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty one again. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. I mean, God still does miracles. Amen? He still does miracles. He still heals people. He still does miraculous things that we cannot uh, understand why. Listen, uh, a great example of God's miracles is that Israel should not be existing today, but God's made it happen, hasn't He? I mean, militarily, I love military history. Israel should be wiped out by now. But God's protecting her. It's a miracle. Alright, so God can still do miracles, but the, the greatest, well, I think one of the greatest miracles that the world can see is how your life was changed by Jesus Christ. 
One day you were walking this way, believer, and, and you were lost in your sins, and you got convicted. Understand what Jesus Christ did for you. You repented of that. You put your trust in Him and your faith in Him. And watch what the Lord's done with your life. Oh, that speaks volumes, and no one can take that away. No one can discredit what God's done in your life. He saved us. He set us apart. The world saw the miracles of the apostles in the first century and knew that this was the message from God. The world sees holiness and faith and obedience in the lives of the redeemed. And they know that it's not from this world, it's from the other. It's from God, it's from heaven, it's not of this world. It's, you know what that is? That's like a sign. Now our world, you know, and so many People in churches there are looking for signs. Hey, listen, you be that marker in the world and say, I believe in Jesus and what Jesus has done for me. Look, watch, see. Be that marker. Uh, be that sign, if you will, and show that it's been miraculous. My life has been changed. Jesus Christ did it. It wasn't me. I didn't take a 12-step course at church to be reformed. I've been transformed through Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, we got to get excited about it again or we're going to see our churches just drift out to nowhere land. Hey, aren't you glad that Jesus Christ saved you? Yeah, we need to be. We need to stoke those fires again. I mean, hey, it won't be long and we'll be just like Europe. The churches are all beautiful and architectural, but there's nothing happened spiritually. It's dark. Hey, we need to get excited that Jesus Christ saved us. There's salvation. We can tell others. Hey, let's not get old with that. Let's make sure that we're looking for opportunities. We're leaving out tracks. We're telling people about Jesus. I'm, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. As the Lord prepared to return to heaven, His mind was on His men. He wanted them to be prepared for the day when they would have the responsibility to share this message with the world. He wouldn't be here physically. He's here with us spiritually, absolutely. He's there. He, the Holy Spirit indwells us at the moment of salvation. He seals us. Uh, there's lots of false teaching about that as well. But uh, the idea is that He's with us. Amen? The Lord's with us. And the Gospel is still the single most important message that needs to be proclaimed in this world. You are impacted by the gospel, whether you accept it or you reject it. And it's either going to be one of those two things. You're going to accept it or you're going to reject it. When we were in Ireland, myself and my wife, uh, Brother Smith brought us to a place called The Cove in Ireland, which was just south of Cork. That was the last port of call of the Titanic. She left England made a stop in Ireland, I don't know, taking on some more passengers, uh, fill up whatever. I mean, I don't know exactly all the things they did there, but there's pictures of her, the last pictures of her, of that ship. The unsinkable ship. Me and my wife went to a museum that was there talking about the, the Titanic. She sank on April 14th, 1912. Of the 2,223 people on board, only 706 survived. Over 1,500, actually 1,523 people ended up in the icy water. There wasn't enough lifeboats. I'm sure you already heard about that. 
only six of those 1,523 were rescued. One of those individuals, actually a few of those individuals who did get rescued were saved twice. The story is through a man named John Harper. He was a Scottish preacher. John Harper, along with his daughter, Nana, who was six years old, if our story is correct, I think Brother Harper had lost his wife a few months before. and They were going, he was going to go to Chicago to preach at Moody Church. And they were seriously concerned about having him be their next pastor. But he was planning to go there. Back at that time, uh, the candidate for a church had to be there for three months, I guess, because that's how long he's planning to go. Three months. And when that ship struck that iceberg and began to sink, Harper made sure his little daughter, Nana, was safe, safely placed in a lifeboat. And then he began his last evangelistic work of his young life. As the water, freezing waters, began to fill the ship, it was heard through him shouting, let the women and children and the unsaved get in the lifeboats. I, I can almost hear the echo. I've met some Scotchmen and that bellowing voice. Survivors reported that Harper took off his own life jacket and gave it to another. And he said, don't worry about me. I'm not going down. I'm going up. When the ship began to sink, Again, more than 1,500 passengers fell or jumped into those icy waters. And they gradually they drowned or they froze to death. And Harper was seen swimming from passenger to passenger who were in the water and pleading with them to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. One of the six of the 1,500 was struggling in the water and he was later rescued. He, he identified himself as Harper's last convert. This young man had climbed upon some debris of the ship and Harper, who was struggling in the water near him, shouted out, Are you saved? No, the man replied. And back, the words that John Harper wrote or said back to him said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The man didn't answer. A moment later, he drifted away by the currents. A few minutes later, the current brought the two men back together again. Again, a harper asked, are you saved? And again, the man answered, no. And with his dying breath, Harper shouted, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And with that, he slipped under the water. Then and there, that man turned his life over to Jesus Christ. Four years later, at a Titanic survivors meeting here in Ontario, that man tearfully gave his testimony recounting how John Harper had led him to the Lord in the waters. Come to find out there was another man who got saved as well. Now, every person in this room is either like John Harper or the man that he witnessed to. Everyone here today. We're either carrying the gospel to the world or we're barely clinging away at life needing someone to tell us about Jesus Christ. Hey, if you're saved, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Lord's parting words are call for you to tell others. The world is perishing. It's lost. I don't need to remind you of horrible stories that we see in our world. You know it. 
the world is perishing and our duty is to reach them. If you're here this morning and you're lost, there's a burden upon you either to accept the message of salvation or to reject it. You reject it. I've already read you scriptures this morning and there's others besides that clearly state that you reject Jesus Christ's gift of salvation. You're eternally lost. That place called hell. But the good news is you can accept the gift of salvation and you can be saved. And your life changed, transformed in this life and forever changed in heaven. If we're going to be honest, Christians, we can get really caught up with our busy lives. We need to make sure that we're focused upon telling others about Jesus. Making sure we're proclaiming it with our lips and that we're proclaiming it with our lives. Hey, we can't on Sunday speak about it and live like the world. We need to be living for Jesus. And boy, we can get that messed up. Myself included. We need to make sure that each and every day we're being living for Jesus. We're showing others about His great love. 